Welcome once again to another episode of The Actors Room. This is episode number nine, and today we discuss Robert Duvall. It's going to be great talking about Mr. Duvall, one of the actors that I think is very underrated and I feel important to talk about. So, episode number nine, Robert Duvall, here we go. Hey out there. I hope everybody's doing well today. I'm doing very well today. It's Friday. Um, I have the whole house to myself, which is very rare, especially when I don't have that much to do because I usually find something to do when I'm alone. Like I clean the house. Isn't that strange? Other people would, you know, enjoy their time alone and do something, you know, else. Well, I like to clean, but Today, I decided to work on Robert Duvall. I have the day off. It's quiet. So I got some research done. So I'm looking forward to talking about Mr. Duvall. He's a fascinating character, one that is not talked about as much as I think he should. He is um, well-respected, for sure. There is no doubt about that. He has been around for a very long time. Uh, He has done some work that is very well-respected and appreciated, But he is often not talked about in the upper echelon of actors like De Niro, Brando, Pacino. I think that he's pretty close to that, but he isn't really in their league, so to speak. And you know what? I think he is. I think that he is in their league. I think he is as good. I would put him in the top 10 actors of all time. I think some people would disagree with me, saying, well, you know, he's a good actor, he's a great actor, but I don't know if I would put him in the top ten. I would. Take a look at his performances and prove me wrong. Here we go. Let's talk about Robert Duvall. Okay, I respect this man very much. He loves to discuss his craft and share it with others. Um, he isn't afraid to reveal his opinions on acting in film, and I think that's what I really love about him. When he is giving interviews, uh, it is very common for him to talk about his craft. And there are some actors who don't like to reveal a lot about themselves. But he does. He likes to talk about it. And I think that that's what appeals to me, especially Robert Duvall. You know, he's had a long and successful career, and um, he has performed alongside some of the best in the business. Duvall is immensely underrated. He is respected, but underappreciated. Like I said before, I'm looking forward to discussing him because he is very passionate about acting. And he is also very passionate about acting school. And he attended... The Neighborhood Playhouse. I remember walking through the playhouse and seeing his picture displayed among the other former students who became successful. Now, the playhouse would have pictures with all of the big stars that had made it in the past. And Robert Duvall was one of them. And for some reason, I really felt that he was the most prestigious out of all of the actors that have walked through there, and directors and uh, writers as well. Like uh, one of the directors that went there was uh, Sidney Pollack, and uh, there was a writer, David Mamet, went to the Playhouse. And I think he's fantastic. He's the one that wrote Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, among many other great ones. So, um, like I said, I remember walking around and seeing his picture thinking he was the most prestigious out of all of them. Some of the actors that went to the Playhouse are James Caan, Diane Keaton, Jeff Goldblum, Eli Wallach, Ann Jackson, Jennifer Grey, Dabney Coleman. Love Dabney Coleman. Um, Dustin Hoffman took some classes there, and even the magician David Blaine went there as well. Now, he was there a few years before I went there, 
And I remember hearing stories about him doing mind-blowing things even back then. All right, one of the stories was that during an exercise, he sat in the middle of the room and stared out the window. Now, everyone was watching him look out the window, waiting, right? Well, he pointed to the ledge and said, watch closely. You know, everybody waited for something to happen. And then Blaine said, do you see that bird sitting on the ledge? And they saw the bird. And he waved his hand. And then the bird dropped to the ground. That's what they said. That's the story that I would hear. Now, there were a few stories going around, but I remember that one. I mean, who knows if it's true? I mean, you know, gossip and hearsay and stuff like that. But nonetheless... Stories about this guy were going on even back then. And it wouldn't surprise me if something like that happened. And, uh, you know, they were talking about him in the 90s like that. So take what you will of that story. But I found it fascinating and just a cool little tidbit about David Blaine. Okay, anyway, um, Robert Duvall learned a lot at the Playhouse and talks fondly about his acting teacher at the time, Sanford Meisner. Robert Selden Duval was born on January 5, 1931, in San Diego, California. His parents were William Howard Duval, a U.S. Navy admiral in Mildred, Virginia, an amateur actress. He is English with small amounts of French, German, and Welsh. His mom was actually a direct descendant of American Civil War General Robert E. Lee. How freaking cool is that? That's pretty cool. To be a direct descendant of Robert E. Lee. That's something you can, you know, go to parties and just kind of brag about. Like, you know, I'm a descendant of Robert E. Lee. (laughs) Yeah, prove it. (laughs) But still, you know, that's pretty cool. You could go out and say, you know, I guess my... One of my good friends when I was growing up in um, grade school, not really grade school, but more middle school and high school, and still keep in touch with him from time to time. His name's Dennis, right? He claimed that he was a direct descendant of John Hancock. Now, he said this. I want to believe him. And I think it's true. I mean, why would he say something like that? Unless his parents are lying to him or something like that. But, you know... I guess, you know, people's roots dig pretty far back into American history. And there are some people that are direct descendants of some very famous people. So Robert Duvall is related to Robert E. Lee. That's pretty cool. Robert mostly grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, because that was the site of the United States Naval Academy. Duvall is noted as saying that he was indeed a Navy brat. And his quote is, My father started at the academy when he was only 16 years old. He made captain at the age of 39 and retired as a rear admiral. End of quote. Robert Duvall attended Principia School and graduated from college in 1953. Duvall would end up serving two years in the Navy just after the Korean War. He was a private and states that the Navy was not for him. Stories of him engaged in battle are false. He says he barely qualified with the M1 rifle and basic training. <laughs> that would be me. That would so be me. You know, I've thought many times about all the brave men and women who have fought for our country. Uh, my grandfathers were in World, World War II. Um, I had a few uncles that were in Vietnam, uh, but fortunately for me, you know, the draft is long gone, so I didn't have to worry about being drafted. Like my dad was nearly drafted to go into Vietnam. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't do very well in those situations. I don't think I would make it past basic training. I'm not saying that I'm a pussy. All right. Okay. Maybe I am, but I'm not, I would probably make it. But the thought of it, ah, God. And then, you know, just being away from home is enough. And then having to, 
actually be in a war and see in battle, um, being face to face with an enemy and having to shoot them in order to stay alive because that's what they teach you to do is to kill other human beings. I can't even fathom that. And the experiences that some of these men went through is something that <clears throat> to this day, I'm 41 years old, you know, and most of the people that have been involved with war and military service are usually younger, you know, teenagers, 20-year-olds. And knowing what I knew back then and how impressionable I was and what I didn't know about the world and life and having to go through these excruciating experiences and coming out the other end somewhat sane is probably an amazing feat. I kind of went a little off here talking about military, but you know what's going on in the world right now? It's kind of on my mind. And I had said previously in uh, my pilot episode, if something grabs me, I will discuss it. I find that doing that is a little therapeutical and it helps me and to kind of get it off my chest because of the these athletes who are kneeling during the anthem is something I don't approve of. I understand it's the American way and you are free to do whatever you want in order to protest. I get that. But you know what? You're disrespecting all of those people who died for you to have these freedoms. And the least you can do is stand and place your hand over your heart for two minutes. Okay? If you have a problem with something going on in this country, you know, there are other ways to do it. You don't have to kneel like that. Uh, I hope I'm not insulting anyone right now because that's not what I want to do. But I do have an opinion and I will express it from time to time. Um, I have nothing wrong with their stance with what they believe in because that's what they believe in. But you know what? I'm sitting down and I want to enjoy a nice American sport like football. And I get, you know, people disrespecting the uh, the country and flag and just the Star Spangled Banner is a way for us to appreciate our country in a very short period of time before we play a game. It's a game, people. It's a distraction. It's one of my diversions that I love very much. Football, I love it. I love it. I don't like it. I love it. I watched the game last night between the Patriots and the um, the Chiefs. Great game. I watched every minute of it. Enjoyed it. Patriots lost. That was a big surprise. And I was scared that somebody was going to be kneeling <laughs> during the national anthem. And from what I saw, uh, they had the cameras going and I didn't see anybody kneeling. I did see, I did see one player they showed sitting on the uh, bench. So I guess maybe that was his mild uh, <laughs> protest in a way, was that he just sat. Um, but I don't want to get too heated about this subject. It's a very sensitive subject and a subject that maybe I shouldn't talk about. So I'm going to stop talking about it now. And I am going to continue talking about acting and talking about Robert Duvall because that's important. Am I right? That's right. So we will continue. After the Navy and with very little direction on where his life would go next, both his mother and father suggested for him to take drama classes. Robert was hesitant at this thought. His mom was an amateur actress, and I feel that her love for acting prompted her to suggest it to her son. I believe she saw something in her son and felt that he would do well on the stage. Duvall would say that he was petrified to give it a try. You know, that's weird because usually it's the other way around. Most parents try to dissuade their kids from entering the entertainment field. They do. I mean, that's just reality. What parent would suggest hey, go and be an actor instead of a politician or a doctor or, you know, something a little more stable that would put food on the table, like an accountant or a chemist. Uh, so I'm a little surprised 
that his parents suggested it to him. I mean, he didn't even think of it. I, I really don't. Uh, and when his uh, parents suggested, hey, Robert, go take some drama classes. It'll be good for you. So he was nervous, finally said, okay, I'll give it a try. So Robert Duvall attended the Neighborhood Playhouse on a GI Bill and began his journey to learn how to act. And here we go. This is why I love Robert Duvall. He mentions how important Sandy Meisner's technique was. And Meisner was one of three former group theater pioneers in the acting teacher profession. The other two were Lee Strasberg, who started the actor's studio, and Stella Adler, who joined the New School of Research. Meisner focused on an exercise called repetition. Uh, I had referenced this in my first episode, talking about my experiences at the Playhouse, and Duvall was giving an interview at his old college, and he was in front of a group of young acting students. Well, he mentions repetition, and then starts doing it with one of the students who was in the audience, right? Holy fuck me. I felt like I was back in New York. I'm not kidding. I actually started to sweat a little bit, thinking back to like messing up, doing repetition and stuff. And the teacher would be like, what are you doing? Well, it was a pleasure, an absolute delight to see Robert Duvall doing the exercises that I was doing at the Playhouse 20, 25 years ago. Uh, It was just, it was intriguing to see him do it because, you know, here's a bunch of novice wannabe actors, you know, sitting in a room, you know, doing this exercise and doing it pretty shittily, most of us anyway. And it was just hard to grasp it. Uh, And the teachers would say that it does take a while for you to sort of get it right and to do it properly. So watching him do it with the, and it was funny too, because uh, he brought up uh, Sandy Meisner and then he brought up a few of his techniques and he's like, well, is anybody here familiar with repetition? And there was like a hush. I don't think anybody did. And if they did, they didn't say so. But there was one girl who like raised her hand and said, yeah, I, I've heard of it. And, and then he's, he looks at her and then he's like, what are you looking at? And then she goes, well, what do you mean? What am I looking at? And that's how the repetition goes. You just say the same word like over and over sometimes until you get like a, something that grabs you and then you say something else. So he's like, well, what are you looking at? And she's just, what, what do you mean? And they went back and forth and then it changed and he did it right. And the way he did it was the way that they taught us to do it. And watching him perform it was just a pleasure to see. And it, you know, it meant a lot to me because, you know, acting means a lot to me. And when I was in New York, the Playhouse meant a lot to me. And that technique made sense to me. Where at the Academy, they had a kind of a, a, a few different techniques and they kind of sprinkled over and you got a little taste of a, a couple of other things. Where at the Playhouse, it was Meisner's technique. This is what it is. This is what he taught. This is what works. So this is what you're going to get. So they were very stern about, this is how you do it. It's got to be this way. This is the right way. Blah, blah, blah. And I got that. Like, what they were teaching me, I said, yeah, that makes sense. Like, everything about the Meister technique makes sense to me. So, I just wanted to go ahead and state that real quick. Duvall would say that he was nervous about working with Meisner because of his reputation. Most acting teachers are pretty intimidating in some way. And Sanford Meisner was intimidated, period. But Duvall actually said that Strasberg's acting studio was even worse. He felt the studio gave an aura of destruction. Interesting. He brought up how the girls in class, and this is at the Neighborhood Playhouse, relied on their emotions to get a good performance. But a good performance in their eyes, he thought. Uh, Meisner would say, you know what? Girls at times, can find it easier to cry than guys. So if you think that crying is going to give you a great performance, then you know what? My Aunt Mildred is probably the greatest actor of all time. And you know what? That makes sense. Just because you can display an emotion and do it authentically 
doesn't mean that you're, uh, that you're, I want to say, uh, displaying your point. Uh, crying is crying, and crying could be you're happy crying, you're sad crying, you're angry crying. Okay, crying can have many different levels of meaning. So you got to have the foundation underneath for the cry to mean something. And if you're just crying to cry, that's not acting. Meisner also concentrated on improvising. He insisted upon the importance of talking and listening. It's so important. And Duvall stressed this as well. It's the beginning and the end of acting. Duvall also feels that the text becomes secondary as to what is underneath. Behavior in exploring one's temperament will decide how good you can be as an actor. You don't have to be loud to be good. You have to know your own temperament. That's it. Also of note is that Duvall became really good friends with Dustin Hoffman at this time because Dusty took a few classes at the Playhouse. Soon Hoffman introduced him to his roommate. Guess who? Gene Hackman. The three of them would hang out often, and it just amazes me that all three of these guys made it big. Are you kidding me? I mean, not just working actors, but three of the greats of all time. How does that happen? I mean, seriously, how does that happen? <laughs> just, I mean, the, the, the odds, I can't even imagine what the odds are. That these three guys... Just hanging out in New York City, taking acting classes, goofing around. Uh, who would have thought, you know, like back in the day when they were goofing around, like, you know what, all three of us are going to be big movie stars. Yeah, right. But they did. They all ended up being huge movie stars. Okay. Uh, Duvall worked as a post office clerk while studying in New York. And he uh, also was a clerk at Macy's and drove a truck to earn extra cash. His acting career started by joining the Gateway Playhouse, which was an equity summer theater based in Long Island. His first performance was in a play called Laughter in the Stars. He spent a great deal of time on stage in 1955 acting in six plays. Not too shabby. Doing back-to-back work like that. It's great experience. It is stated that he was becoming an audience favorite. But there was one part he says... That was the catalyst in his career, and that was Eddie Carboni and Arthur Miller's A View from the Bridge. Arthur Miller actually attended one of his performances. He then got to meet the right people who eventually led him to be a part of the Naked City television series. And I actually performed a scene of uh, View from a Bridge as Eddie as well. I remember that. I actually did that scene at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I remember it very well because it was one of the parts or scenes that I had that I actually, I don't want to say nailed, but I did well in it. I remember the teacher at the academy that I had. I forget her name, but she was tough. She was tough. I mean, she'd walk in with a scowl and you were just like, (laughs) God, I hope she doesn't yell at me today. Yeah, I, I just, I'm not in the mood. And I actually got into her one one day. Uh, she was going... And when she would go off on tangents, too, about the things that just didn't make sense. She, at one time, I remember her saying something about the fact that if you have your own children, you're just basically being, you know, you're worthless. How dare you have your own children? I'm thinking to myself, what is this lady talking about? What? I was directly... uh just affected and insulted just by that statement. All right? Because I, from a very early age, I had always wanted a family of my own. And having a family of my own meant a lot to me. Even then, what was I, 20 at this time? 20, 21? And I still saw it in the future of me having a family, having a wife and kids and just having, you know, and and a dog. You know, my family... And she says this, and I'm a quiet person. 
I am quiet in class. I am respectful to the teacher. I don't do anything to disrespect her at all. I'm quiet. I listen. But this, when she said that, I couldn't believe it. I had to say something. I could. So the whole point of her her statement was though that there are so many uh, children out there that need families, and I understand that. Come on now, I'm not a moron, okay? There are kids out there that need families, that need to be adopted. And she wasn't wrong with that statement at all. If she just said that statement, I raise my hand and I say, yeah, they do. There, there are kids out there who need homes. I agree with you, yes. But to her say that me wanting to have a daughter or son of my own is wrong and that reflects me as a person? Well, hate to say it, but fuck you. And I didn't say that to her. I would never say that. That's no. But I said, whoa, hey, wait a minute. Just because, and I remember this very clearly. I said, listen, just because I want to have kids of my own does not make me a bad person. You know, she just looked at me like, whoa, because I never really said anything in class ever. So, you know, me speaking up, she just kind of, oh, you know, what? (laughs) Is that you? What? Jeff, you're talking to me? So it kind of hit home with her a little bit. And she didn't like me after that. I don't think she liked too many people anyway. But I remember doing this scene that Robert Duvall did. And I did it with a classmate. Her name was Titian. She was very talented. And that helped with the scene. Because she was really good. So we did a really nice job with that scene. Great character. And Arthur Miller is just amazing. What a playwright that guy is. And he was actually in the audience while Duvall was doing the role. How tense is that? I hope Robert didn't know he was in the audience. I hope he didn't. I would be so nervous. You got to block that stuff out. I get it. But you have the playwright, Arthur Miller, sitting in the audience that night. I mean, you got to be shitting your pants. God, I hope I don't mess up that line. Oh, I'll probably trip over something on stage that night, and I'll fall flat on my face. I'm just going to fly off the stage. I'll probably end up in his lap. But I guess that didn't happen. Duvall gave a great performance, and Miller never forgot about that, and it got him connected with people in the business. That's what happens, man. That's why you got to work as an actor. You just work, work, work. That's what they tell you. You just got to keep working. And eventually, if you're good, you will keep working and you will gain experience. And God bless, hopefully, there is someone in that audience, it doesn't have to be the playwright, but someone in the audience that sees your talent and sees, whoa, he's good, she's good. The next thing that comes up and they say, boy, we really need an actor to play, blah, 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 bing, it pops in your head. That kid, that Robert Duvall kid. I saw him do my play. He would be fantastic to do this role. You got you to gotta hire him or at least bring him in for a reading. See what he's got. By 1959, Duvall received top billing at the Gateway Playhouse and even took on the role of Stanley Kowalski in Streetcar. Wish I could have seen that one. Duvall talks about Brando and his face lights up. Whenever he's doing an interview and Brando was brought up, You can just see him, his eyes start to twinkle, and he's like, oh yeah, let's talk about Brando, and he does. Now, he says that when him, Hackman, and Hoffman were bumming around together back in the day in New York, all of them would do their best to emulate Brando, like banging on bongo drums, because that's what Brando did. Marlon was just the guy they looked up to. Duvall even mentions that He had seen Streetcar recently for the first time in 30 years. And he says to himself while he's watching it, what a fucking talent. The part in the film where Brando, and this is what Robert Duvall brought up. The part in the film where Brando is going through Blanche's wardrobe, you can see Marlon take in all of his surroundings by noticing specks of feather and dust whirling in a minuscule way in front of him. Now, He takes the time to notice it and then try to catch it with his fingers, like snap it up. You know, he would, he tried to like, you know, snag it out of the air. And I remember seeing that moment too. And it grabbed me as well. 
Because as an actor, you appreciate shit like that. Although people watching it really don't see it, but do, but they don't appreciate it. It's little moments like that that made Marlon Brando the greatest actor who ever walked on this planet. Simple. It doesn't get any more clearer than that. Robert Duvall saw it. I saw it. It's there for anybody to notice. He did it so well, maybe you don't notice it. To a, you know Anybody just watching the film, it just looks natural because that's what he was. That's what made him so freaking amazing. Don't you get that? Because he was so fucking natural. The things he would do are things that you would do in your normal life. Like, Brando was so grounded and so talented and so in tune with everything. All his surroundings. He had the whole package. Everything. And that's what makes him so important. And how he influenced all of these great actors that I have talked about so far were directly influenced by Marlon Brando. And how amazing he was and how he changed acting forever. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about Robert Duvall because he sees it too. And he loves to talk about it because it is important and it's fun to talk about. Okay, uh, Duvall went on to do more and more New York stage work. And his first television work came in 1959 with an appearance on Armstrong Circle Theater. He acted in television regularly during the 1960s. And some of those credits include Alfred Hitchcock, The Untouchables, Route 66, and The Twilight Zone. Which I love, The Twilight Zone. Don't you? Anybody that appreciates good, solid fun with mystery, creepiness, and just good stuff. Love The Twilight Zone. Especially this time of year. So I'll, I hope that uh, Netflix or Amazon... Uh, I think we have HBO Go. Hopefully they have the Twilight Zone episodes on there. So I can binge watch some of those. That'll be fun. Alright, then Duvall got his first film role as Boo Radley in the acclaimed To Kill a Mockingbird. He was cast because of the recommendation of Horton Foote. Now Horton had met Robert at the Neighborhood Playhouse a few years earlier and never forgot about him. Now, Foote is quoted as saying this. Here's the quote. Robert had a particular love of common people and the ability to infuse fascinating revelations into his roles. He was our number one actor. End of quote. Robert would go on to become a working actor, mostly television. And in 1968, he got a nice role in the Steve McQueen film Bullet, Then came a film called The Rain People. Francis Ford Coppola directed this film, and it was the first time Duvall and Francis worked together. Duvall was a last-minute replacement because Rip Torn left the project unexpectedly. Fortunate for Robert indeed. And he would co-star with James Caan and Shirley Knight. George Lucas just got out of film school and around this time visited the set quite often and ended up doing two documentaries in relation to this film. I saw the film. I'd never seen it before. I I took a brief glance at it. Eh, I don't recommend it. It's okay. Um, Then came the Western True Grit with John Wayne. Uh, And Duvall says that John Wayne was an underrated actor. Although Wayne did not have the versatility of other actors... He always gave a truthful performance. He saw things that others did not. John Wayne won the Oscar for this portrayal, but Wayne was not happy during the shooting of this film. And he wasn't happy when it was over either. Um, It just seemed that uh, Wayne wasn't pleased with some of the casting choices that were made. Um, And he also did not get along with Duvall during the picture because of the way Duvall went about his method. Uh, He just wasn't real keen on the whole idea of method actors, I guess. And Duvall got on his nerves, so much so, that Wayne said he wanted to punch him in the face. Ouch. (laughs) It didn't seem to affect Duvall in any way um, that John Wayne didn't like him on this picture. Because uh, doing some research about Duvall and John Wayne, he never says anything bad about him, ever. 
After True Grit comes one of my favorites, MASH. This is one of my dad's all-time favorite movies, and he also loved the TV show as well. Just a fun, fun movie. And I do have memories of when I was a kid. It would be like a Friday or Saturday night most of the time. And uh, my parents would let us stay up a little bit later. MASH was always on. I'm not sure if it was on maybe uh, when I was a kid. TBS was kind of popular and they played a lot of older shows. So it was either MASH or the Bob Newhart show was on the television set if we weren't watching a movie. I always remember that. My dad loved MASH. And the movie itself is so good. And the movie came first. Uh, and I didn't know that. I always thought it was the other way around when I was a kid. But it was MASH, the movie, that came out first. And then it spawned off the TV show. And um, I, I think it's brilliant. What a concept for a film. Such a dark premise when you think about it. Having a show about um, you know, a hospital uh, during the war. But they make it so much fun and lighthearted and really good characters. Uh, Duvall's character gets caught with hot lips, you know, making love with her in the tent. And they had set up by like a microphone in the room. So it was broadcast throughout the speakers in the whole compound. So you get to hear them, Duvall and uh, I think her name was uh, Keller, Kellerman. Whatever. We're going at it, and and everybody got to hear it. You feel so sorry for Robert Duvall's character. But one thing you don't feel sorry about for that character is the fact that he was married, and he was doing this. So I guess I didn't feel too bad about it. Then came The Godfather. The Godfather let Duvall be a part of something special, and another big reason why I wanted to do uh, and highlight Robert is because I want my 10th episode to be a movie. And it's going to be The Godfather. It just makes sense. Uh, Duvall was a special part of The Godfather saga. And this version in particular. He sort of ties it all together. When Michael decides he is the only person he can completely trust. So Godfather will be featured in my next episode. And I'm very excited to talk about it. Of course, it's my, my favorite movie by far. There are other actors in The Godfather that I will cover eventually, like Diane Keaton uh, and James Caan, um, maybe a few other actors. Plus, I will be diving into directors as well, um, like Coppola. He'll be on my list, Scorsese, uh, definitely Stanley Kubrick, and others as well. So just to let you know, I will go into great depth about The Godfather in my next episode. But for now, let's talk a little bit about Duvall's acting and it is spot on as Tom Hagen. Best scene for him in this one is when he is uh, arguing with James Kahn's character. And he's being told that he's a pussy when it comes to wartime decisions and situations and things like that. You get to see James Kahn kind of rip him apart for being a laid back and not a wartime concierge, uh, things like that. And it's sort of, uh, you could tell they work really well together, the two of them. Uh, they were close during filming. Uh, they had known each other at the Playhouse. Uh, James Kahn, I believe, was in his class. So that must have been pretty cool to do this big movie with uh, Marlon Brando and then your buddy James Kahn is in the film as well. And Duvall thinks the world of Jimmy Kahn. And he says that if it wasn't for Kahn in this, fil in this film, that they would not have had as much fun. That he's just a cut up and he likes to keep things light. So uh, Jimmy Kahn was a big part of the film as well. And I wonder if they engineered some sort of argument with one another. Just because they were close friends and wanted to make the scene seem very real. I'm wondering if they kind of had something going on where they kind of poked at each other. to kind of spark something. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean it's possible. Of note is the film called Joe Kid with Clint Eastwood. And Duvall enjoyed making westerns, by the way. He loved it. He felt that the English have Shakespeare, the French have Moliere, and we have the western. That's ours. The Godfather Part Two had Duvall bring back his solid role of Tom Hagen for us to enjoy. He is so good in both films, 
And I forgot to mention his scene with the big-time producer Jack Waltz in the very first Godfather, in the in the whole engineering the horse head to be in his bed. It, he is so balanced in his style during scenes like that. I often find his character's eyes being at half-mast if you look at him during the, the film. Uh, during some of his scenes of both Godfathers, his eyes are like half-masked. And I wonder what that is. Is it just because he's so comfortable in the role and around everyone that he makes it seem like he's tired? I don't know, because he never really does that in any of, of his characters. I never see that. Just in The Godfather, he's just sort of, his eyes are sort of glazed over. Kind of like he's stoned. I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to bring that up. But it almost seems like he's stoned. I don't know what that is. Like, if... He was giving an interview to a group of people and I raised my hand. I think that would be one of my questions. That sounds really fucking stupid, but I wonder about that. I don't know why I do. It just looks like he's drugged in some way. But anyway, um, I feel so good for the character of Tom Hagen when Michael gives him control until he gets things figured out. When he says, you're the only one I can completely trust. And he sort of hands things over to Duvall. A little, it's a great moment for the character. I love how we end up rooting for these mobsters. It's great. Um, Another film I want to briefly mention that Robert was in that I really enjoyed was Network. Such a fine film and controversial too. This film gives us a behind-the-curtain look at a few things concerning everything media-based. It's an important picture and Faye Dunaway gives a riveting performance. Robert Duvall has only 11 minutes of screen time in Apocalypse Now. Those are 11 wonderful minutes. He wasn't the first choice to play this role, and he begged Coppola to let him play Colonel Kilgore. This character was loosely based on author and syndicated columnist Colonel David H. Hackworth and his exploits in Vietnam. Hackworth, born and raised in Southern California, commanded a helicopter air cavalry brigade in which pilots actually wore Civil War campaign hats and flew in helicopters with crossed swords painted on them. The colonel is such a fascinating character. Duvall took what he learned in the two years he served for the Navy and remembered the way his superiors carried themselves. He remembered the way they walked and stood up straight. And if you take notice, you can see that Duvall walks around like a rooster. He was surprised and hurt that Francis had cut out a scene that uh, really meant a lot to him. The scene comes out later in the Redux, but was not presented in the first cut. You know, this sort of thing happens a lot in a movie when you really think about it. And someone like Francis Ford Coppola, as a director, I think they take a lot of shots. They got a lot of film to go through. And they have to make some really tough decisions when it comes to editing. You know, Robert Duvall, you know, in his point of his scene being very important to the character and the film, may not hold as true to Francis Ford as it does to Duvall. Francis Ford is looking at the picture as a whole. And Duval is looking at it from his character standpoint. Now, Duval may be right in the fact that it pertains to the whole, but Francis Ford may not think that way. And like I said before, there are a lot of scenes I'm sure he cut out, and that was just one of them. So I could see Duval being upset that it wasn't in there, but eventually there's a Redux edition put out And you get to see that scene. You get extended scenes in the Redux, which I love. I've watched uh, the Redux probably about five times. And my wife just doesn't understand. When she comes walking in sometimes, and I'm watching this movie, she says, why are you watching this movie again? (laughs) It's so disturbing. I said, it's not disturbing. Okay, maybe it is a little disturbing. All right, I got you there. But it's so good. I can't help myself. I love this movie. The directing is so good. The, everything about it is good. Everything. And I, I, I'm going to talk in great length about Apocalypse Now. 
because as you can see, I'm very passionate about it. It blows me away every time I see it. Francis Ford was amazing. Just so good. Okay, back to Duvall and his character, Colonel Kilgore. This guy is something else. He just is. I mean, <laughs> I, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Priceless line, I guess Duvall says that people come up to him all the time and say, I love the smell of napalm. And he's just sick and tired of hearing it. He's done. After about 20, 25 years of hearing about this, he's done with it. You know, it's cute and everything, but after hearing it about a million times, he's done. But the character himself, when the, he's walking on the beach, he just doesn't, he's not afraid of anything. There are bombs dropping all around him. I mean, he's in the middle of a freaking battle. I mean, bombs going off like 10 feet away from him. And he's standing there like, Nothing's going on. Everybody else, all the other soldiers are ducking, are laying down, are taking cover. And he's more worried about getting his surfboard and going for a little surfing on the beach. That's all he cares about. A little R&R right in the middle of a battle. He looks like he just has no fear whatsoever. I love the character. He's so strong, uh, so grounded, uh, so likable. Probably one of the most likable characters in the film. The Great Santini is one of my favorite films. Duvall shows us how truly amazing he is in this one. He plays a domineering father and an alpha male personality. He does well with this role. Uh, he was nominated this time for Best Actor. Noteworthy is the performance from Michael O'Keefe. 1983, Duvall will give the performance of his career and win himself the Oscar for Best Actor. Tender Mercies was a sweet film and a tough role for any actor to do. Two of the songs in the movie, Fool's Waltz and I've Decided to Leave Here Forever, were written by the film star Robert Duvall. Duvall sung both of these tunes as well as the three tracks, Wings of Dove, It Hurts to Face Reality, and If You'll Hold the Ladder, I'll Climb to the Top. Totaling five songs sung, by Duvall in the movie. Very impressive. I find it so impressive when an actor takes it upon himself to learn how to sing, or maybe he did sing, he doesn't sing very often. He had a pretty decent voice from what I saw, and he did it all on his own. And he wrote the music, he sang it, he played his instrument, and did it very well. And so well, he got an Academy Award for his performance and well-deserved. The screenwriter, Horton Foote, convinced actor Robert Duvall to star in this movie. He visited Duvall's home and read aloud the screenplay for the picture, which had just been completed by Foote. So you can imagine how cool that must have been, right? He wanted him to play that role so badly that the screenwriter went to his house, sat down, and I hope they had a nice little cup of tea there, and uh, it took a few hours, I'm sure, to read the script to him. He wanted him to do it that badly. And I also want to point out that the, uh, the young boy in the picture, named Sonny, celebrated his birthday shortly after the film. And there was a party going on, of course. Well, Duvall showed up and gave him a gift. It was a guitar. The boy is now a man, of course, and teaches guitar professionally. He says... He never lets the guitar out of his sight. Isn't that cute? Love that shit. Duvall shines in this film, and he shows all his talent in regards to not only his acting ability, but his musical ability as well. We won't see anything like it until Jeff Bridges' performance in Crazy Heart. Oh, Jeff Bridges, one of my favorites. Uh, he had a small role in The Natural with Robert Redford, the baseball film which was a spectacular film. Uh, but the one Robert Duvall film that means the most to me is Colors, directed by Dennis Hopper and co-starring Sean Penn. Duvall plays a veteran cop and shows levels of wisdom that he wants to install upon Sean Penn's character. This is a raw picture, and Duvall and Sean Penn have tremendous chemistry. Now, it didn't seem as though they liked each other doing this film, but not in a bad way. 
I think they may have used the friction between them and used it to their advantage. I am guessing on all of that right now. I am speculating. But it just seemed like they didn't get along. I just got that feeling. And I also say that because during my research, when Sean Penn would kind of come up, Duvall would cringe a little bit. Like, oh, that, he would call him kid. Be like, oh, that kid. <laughs> so I don't know if something happened on the set of that film. Um, it might have. Or just, you know what else it is? When they were filming that, uh, Sean Penn was going through some stuff. And it was actually during the filming that he had punched a cameraman. I don't know if you remember that. Way back in the day. When uh, the tabloids showed Penn punching out a cameraman. Well, that was during the filming (laughs) of this movie. Uh, So Sean might have been just going through some shit at that time. He was kind of a bad boy, you know, paparazzi, get out of my face sort of guy. I mean, he was... Wasn't he married to Madonna during that time? So I'm sure he was just sick and tired of all the bullshit. And He's a great actor. And I think he's a pretty good guy. That I don't know him personally. But he just seems like a very nice guy. His next project was one that Duvall loves very much. He took great pride in participating in the miniseries called Lonesome Dove. I have watched all of it. And it's the best miniseries I have ever seen. Tommy Lee Jones co-stars with him, and they make history. If you have never seen this series, you are missing out. And Western's themes are not my bag. But I love this one. I kept running across Lonesome Dove every so often when I would read up on actors in movies and things like that. And I said, you know what, I gotta check this thing out. I did, and I did not regret it at all. So I highly recommend seeing Lonesome Dove. Rambling Rose is a film he did of note with Laura Dern. It's an underrated film and one that I recommend. Duvall would go ahead and dive into a project that both excited him and worried him. He was going to portray the Russian dictator Joseph Stalin. It was an HBO production and the film was shot in Russia. Duvall has said that it would get uncomfortable there in terms of how the native Russians felt about their presence. He said he felt unsafe at times, but ultimately gained some respect of the people. This is a forgotten performance. Duval transforms himself into Stalin. Accent is perfect. His mannerisms are perfect. He looks like him. He walks like him. You can tell he took his time acting in this part. He walks through all the right doors. He never overdoes it. Always playing the moment. One of his greatest roles for sure. Top notch. Another movie I liked was The Paper alongside Michael Keaton, Glenn Close, Marissa Tomei, and Randy Quaid. The Scarlet Letter was a film that I looked forward to seeing when it came out, but that one missed the mark. You would think a movie starring Demi Moore, Gary Oldman, who I cannot wait to talk about by the way, and Robert Duvall would be pretty good. But hey, these things happen. Another one of his films I love is Phenomenon. My old roommate in New York City, uh, after the film student that I lived with, uh, was his name was Doug. Uh, he was a, a friend that I had met at the American Academy. And <clears throat> when I left the Academy, when he left the Academy, uh, I decided to get out of that little room with my uh, roommate, the filmmaker, and get a, an apartment in Historia, um, Queens. And Doug was my roommate at that time. And I watched Phenomenon and I liked it. Well, he would make fun of me about it all the time. So I I never understood why. It's a decent film. I mean, it's not the greatest film in the world, but I enjoy it. He must have hated it or something. He was a pretty cynical guy, but I I love Doug. He's a good, he was a good friend. Um, He was kind of tough to get along with uh, in class because he was very cynical about everything. And he'd walk around telling everybody that, you know, only 5% of actors actually make it. I don't know if he was just trying to intimidate people, but he didn't make too many friends at all. So anyway, you know, Doug's a good guy. You know, we try to collaborate on things to do. He's out in L.A., you know, and he knows that I moved back home. But, you know, we would go back and forth about doing a project from time to time. Uh, It's been a while since I talked to him. 
but the last thing that we were trying to do was a, a miniseries, and before that was a movie, and then, I mean, we go back and forth on stuff, but it's just hard for two people to agree on everything, and I think that's what we really wanted to do was agree on everything. It's not going to happen. It's just not. You're gonna, there's going to have to be give and take when you're doing a project. So I don't know what he's doing now. I think he's taking some time off. But uh, Doug White, yes. All right, here we go. Um, Robert Duvall appeared as Carl's father in the critically acclaimed Sling Blade. It was a small role for Robert, and he wanted to be in his uh, friend's film. You know, Billy Bob Thornton did this film. Uh, he directed it, starred in it, and uh, Robert wanted to be in it, no matter what size of the role. Uh, both Duvall and Billy Bob respected one another. Uh, Billy Bob uh, wanted to go ahead and return the favor for Duvall. So just in a very short period of time, Duvall dived into The Apostle, a film which he directed. So they kind of figured, great idea. Robert Duvall gave Billy Bob Thornton a part in his movie. And a really nice part, too. If you remember in The Apostle, Billy Bob's character is the racist guy who's, like, standing there with a bulldozer ready to just demolish the church. And then you have Duvall's character talking him down. Um, A really nice scene. Great scene. Two titan actors, right? I'm glad that they have a lot of respect for each other. I like Billy Bob Thornton's acting um, and directing. Just a fantastic, fantastic movie, The Apostle. And you could tell that Duvall really cared about this film. He was very passionate about it. Uh, He ended up putting down $4 million of his own money to get the project off the ground. He wrote the entire script in longhand. Whoa! And you get to see a heartfelt movie. A real accomplishment for Duvall. He won the Oscar for Best Actor. And a few months after making this movie... Robert Duvall received a letter. The letter was from Marlon Brando congratulating him on such a job well done. Duvall notes that the letter he received from Brando meant more to him than winning the Oscar. How about that? Gone in 60 Seconds is of note as well. Just a fun one. Uh, Big fans of Nick Cage and Giovanni Ribisi. Plus you get to see a lot of cool cars. And before I move on, Giovanni Ribisi. Now that is one underrated actor. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to watch his latest work. It's called Sneaky Pete on Amazon, I believe. Just a good one. And I can't wait. I think it's coming on its second season very soon. Uh, John Q with Denzel Washington was good. Other noteworthy films I want to touch on before I end this episode are... Gods and Generals, uh, he plays Robert E. Lee, the man he is related to. Brilliant and surreal. Secondhand Lions, A Civil Action, and A Night in Old Mexico. And of course, The Judge. Just fantastic. Can you believe that Mr. Duvall is 87 years old? Are you kidding me? What a guy. What a guy. I want to go ahead and play for you a small clip of Robert Duvall on the Graham Norton show. He was promoting the judge at this time, and he's sitting up there with uh, Robert uh, Downey Jr. Um, Gosh, I can't think of who else is sitting up there with him. But he's talking about the judge, and then he, uh, guess what? Marlon Brando is brought up. Graham Norton actually brings up Marlon Brando, and you get this cute little clip. Go ahead, take a listen. Here you go. We've got to mention, we must mention The, the Godfather. Yes. And, and, well, yes. And I think a lot of people uh, assume that Marlon Brando was a very kind of serious figure, but the two of you seem to have a lot of fun on set. A lot of fun, especially with Jimmy Kahn. Jimmy is a, he, he and Bill Murray, the two funniest guys I ever worked with. And Jimmy would tell a joke. It would take Brando three seconds to catch on. <laughs> and he would go, like that. <laughs> 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 Jimmy's great. And, uh, 
We had great times, yeah. I know what you I know where you're heading. Well, because you did about the mooning. Yeah, because we all moon, believe me. And you know, to keep this set, you know, fun. Yeah. So you wanna I'll tell you the best story of all. Okay. Go. This is absolute true story. We're in Staten Island at the wedding, and Brando, he gave out belts at the end for championship belts for Mooney. He went for his belt, I went for my belt, and, and Coppola said, oh, come on now, there are women and children, they don't, but he kept going, I kept going. We mooned each other, mooned everybody. Some woman turned to me, said, Mr. Duvall, you, you're fine, but she turned to her friend and said, but did you catch the balls on that Brando? She said, <laughs> Man, that is some funny stuff. I watched that the other day, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Just, I can't get enough of learning about stuff like that. It's so interesting, hearing about how much fun they're having on set, and things like that. And You kind of get a, a glimpse behind closed doors of what goes on during a production, and how much fun it can be, and how jealous I am right now. <laughs> but anyways... Well, we're going to move on. Robert Duvall has been nominated for seven Oscars. And I had actually made a mistake a little bit ago, saying that he won for The Apostle. That's incorrect. He did not win for The Apostle. He was just nominated. Uh, he was uh, he has one victory, and that was in Tender Mercies. So, there you go. Uh, his other nominations were for The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, The Great Santini, Civil Action, and The Judge. Robert Duvall is a class act, a man that I can relate to in so many ways. We see eye to eye on a lot of stuff and also with the relating to acting. And I love the fact we went to the same acting school, the Neighborhood Playhouse. This man loves to talk about acting and I loved talking about him. I have to say that I was nervous going into this episode because I feared I wouldn't find enough information about him. Boy, was I wrong. It was the exact opposite. I actually had to trim down a few things, but I got in all that I wanted. Thank you, Mr. Duvall, for giving us your love for the art we call acting. And thank all of you for listening to this episode about the great Mr. Robert Duvall. And he is great. He is so good. I hope people notice how great he is. And the fact that he is 87 years old and still going strong. How, how magnificent is that? It's magnificent. So it was a great time talking about him. I learned a lot. Uh, his love for acting, it shines through. So we're going to go ahead and end this podcast. Next episode will be about The Godfather. The first time I'm going to dive into a film. I'm excited to do that. And what I'm going to do is, I think I will sit down this next week and I'm going to watch The Godfather and take notes. Even though I've seen the film God knows how many times, probably have it memorized by now. I'm going to sit there and be like a film critic in a way. Something I've never done before is actually sit down and take notes while I watch it. And then I'm going to dissect those notes and put them all together and try to give a nice little episode about The Godfather. And who knows, maybe I will find something new as I take notes on The Godfather. I doubt it, but you never know. All right, uh, put in that movie tonight. I went ahead and I watched Cocoon last night. I'm sure most of you have seen Cocoon, directed by Ron Howard, uh, starring... All of those older actors, Jessica Tandy, Hugh Cronin, Wilford Brimley. Such a fantastic little movie. A very heartwarming film. My kids had never seen it. And I was flipping through and I saw Cocoon and I said, they are going to like this one. And my oldest is 13, Madeline. And she watched the whole thing, which is a true test of the quality of that film because... Madeline is very picky about what she watches. She's 13. And she sat and watched that whole movie last night. So that goes to show how good that movie is. You know, she's 13 and that movie was made in the 80s. And Ron Howard is terrific, by the way. 
I think I love every movie he's done. Uh, even dating back to Splash, one of my favorite films. So go ahead and put in that movie tonight. Enjoy it. Relax. Put your feet up. Have a drink. Have two, maybe. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everyone. God bless you. Have a good one.